You're listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Well, good morning, church. If you would please open your Bibles and me, the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. What an honor it is to be studying the scriptures with you, specifically Acts chapters 13 through 15 in a series that we're calling Undeterred, Unstoppable Power Through Any Obstacle. I want to remind you that our content team has put together a devotional that walks right alongside this sermon. If you're interested in that this week, as you continue to follow follow Jesus, text the word sermon to 45776. Well, before we study the text this morning, just wanted to update you what's going on in the Brooks household. We have a celebration, an answer of prayer. We have a new family member. We have a labradoodle by the name of Baker. Now, this is something that that I didn't necessarily plan or want. This was something that God had placed in the hearts of our children. They came to Brynn and I early, early part of this year and said, we want a dog. And I said, great, because you don't need one. They said, no, we really, really want one. And I said, okay. I said, your mother and I, we're going to pray about this. We're going to take it to the Lord. He said, no. (laughs) And so then they came back and said, no, no, we really, really want a dog. And so he said, okay, well, guys, you have to remind yourselves of the responsibility that this is. And so your mom and I, we're going to get together with the Lord and we're going to come back to you. And there are going to be certain things, goals and objectives, academically, spiritually, and athletically that you're going to have to accomplish to prove to us that you can handle this responsibility of taking care of another dog. So we set up these goals, and they achieved every single one of them by God's grace. And it was just clear at the end, surely the Lord has done this. And so we went just like you do to find a dog. We went around Tulsa. We searched the web endlessly, and we found this dog from a breeder in Harrison, Arkansas. We met him at a super Walmart there, so it's totally legit, right? (laughs) And so on Friday, we brought back... Baker. And I got to tell you, it's just a handful of observations this Friday. I got to share some things with you. What this dog is, not only hopefully we're teaching him, but what he's teaching us. Number one, this dog is holy, unquestionably holy, church. He's chewing holes in everything in our house. (laughs) Shoes and couches and dresses and everything else. This is a holy dog. Now, secondly, the, the, this dog has is, is humbled all of us. I mean, the Bible reminds us, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Paul, remember, says in one of his epistles to the church of Corinth, examine yourself. And I got to tell you, I haven't took a step in my house without examining that I'm going to step in some surprise from this dog. Every single step, every single room, there may be a surprise waiting on you. He has also taught us about the stewardship of time and of maximizing each and every day. And this is because his barking keeps us up almost all night and we have to get up at two or three o'clock in the morning to let him out. So the days are naturally longer in our household. So things are going great. (laughs) Thank you so much for your prayers. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father that is above. And we praise God for this wonderful gift from our house, a blessing to our family and you when you come to our house. I want to talk to you today from Acts chapter 14 about being bold, about going bold with the gospel. You and I just joyfully celebrated the 247th anniversary of our founding fathers declaring their independence from Great Britain. That our founding fathers gathered in Independence Hall there in Philadelphia. I've been there just like many of you. 
and they declared their independence. Now, did you ever realize what happened to these 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence? This was no casual flippant signature. This was no idle declaration. In fact, amazingly, did you realize that nine of these signers died from combat, either wounds or fighting the Revolutionary War? Five of them were captured and tortured while they were imprisoned. Twelve of them, their homes were burned to the ground. They had nothing left. They were penniless at the end of the Revolutionary War. Seventeen of them literally lost everything. They lost their homes, their livelihood, their children were killed. They had nothing left but freedom. Of the 56 signers, of the 9, 5, 12, 17 plus individuals, zero of them ever defected. None of them retracted. All of them remained faithful, undeterred in their allegiance to freedom, to inalienable rights of all men created by God. It is this boldness that you and I are now benefiting from. It's this boldness that I think sets a wonderful context when we study Acts chapter 14. Today, I want to study the dedication and boldness of Paul and Barnabas in their continual sharing of the gospel, their expanding of the ministry of Christ, their multiplying of now Jewish converts and Gentile converts toward active discipleship, all to implore us to go bold with the gospel. Now, I'll remind you in Acts chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas are more than likely, according to the book of Galatians, battling sickness while they're traveling to Iaconum. Now, Iaconum was this culturally mixed city. It was on a plateau in modern-day Turkey. Its elevation was 3,370 feet. This was no easy journey. It was arduous. It was painful, but yet the Lord had called them to this city. Now, Iaconum means from the beginning of time. In fact, in the ancient world, it was claimed to be even older than Damascus, one of the oldest cities in all of antiquity, and it was known for its bountiful agriculture. It would be in the book of Acts, a setting now of a transition, where now you have a Gentile church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, sending out its own members to now reach not Jews only, but Gentiles with the gospel. And what I want to do is I want to take this section in three different parts. And I want to set this context of Iaconum and this blessing of ministry. Then is what has been a reoccurring pattern in Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. They're going to meet immediate persecution. Opposition will come. Then we're going to be amazed that they're just going to keep doing what the Lord commanded them to do in verse 7. And I want to give you four things Four things that you and I, as we leave this place, can be bold with the gospel. With that in mind, look at Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 in your Bible says this. Now at Iaconum, they entered together into a Genesis synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained remarkably a long time. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, who granted signs and wonders among them to be done by their hand for his glory. Let's stop right there. 
Now I'll remind you in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and his companions left Cyprus and traveled 140 miles to Paphos. They then, from doing their ministry in Paphos, felt led of the Lord to walk 13 miles to Perga, or from about here to Sepulpa, all right? They then left Perga and traveled 112 miles to the north to Antioch, Pisidia. The Lord blessed their ministry. Also, people were against their ministry. Blessing, persecution. Blessing, opposition. They now have headed from Antioch, Pisidia, 90 miles to the southeast to Iaconum, which was not this budding metropolis. It wasn't this place that one aspired to go to like Antioch, Pisidia. My point in making this is that both Paul and Barnabas were open to where the Spirit led them, are we? Do you have an openness in your calendars? Do you have an openness in your heart? Do you have an openness to each and every day to what the Lord is moving you toward. You see, God often moves through his people who are already going. God moved in them to move through them. So where are you going this summer? I mean, where in your mind, in your heart, do you find the Lord actively leading you? I read an article this week that said 65% of all Christ followers would describe their spiritual state currently as, you ready for this? Stagnant. Now, by God's grace, I've been following the Lord for over 35 years. There's been seasons where honestly, I would say, yes, it's a little stagnant. But I often find in those seasons, it's not the Lord's doing, it's mine. It's not that the Lord wasn't moving, it's that I wasn't moving. Where is it that he's moving you toward? What is it that you sense God is moving in you to move through you? I've often challenged you through the summer to read the Psalms. It's just a wonderful discipline each and every day of this wonderful season for you to four or five at a time. And there was a Psalm this week that really captured my heart I want to share with you. Psalm 143 verse 8. Do you know this Psalm? The Psalmist says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. For in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I shall lift up my soul. If you're here this morning and you're in a season that is stagnant, if you're here this morning and you're a little bit ambiguous to what it is the Lord is moving in you to move through you, may you pray this psalm. Lord, I want to start this day by hearing you in the morning. Hearing of your steadfast love, your resolved love, your unconditional one-way love toward me. That there is nothing, Lord, this day that I can do that will make you love me more. There is also nothing, Lord, that I'll do this day that can make you love me less. You just love me in Christ. In God, it's this love that I find my identity. It's this love that I find my being. It's this love that I find my purpose. And so from this love, I will trust in you. I won't trust in my feelings. I won't trust in my circumstances. I won't trust in text messages, IMs, emails, nothing but you. Make me know the way I should go. I am trusting, Lord, that whatever you have for me today is what you have sovereignly prepared for me. So I lift up all that I am. I lift up my soul to you. Now let me ask you this question. What can't God do through such a follower? 
who each and every day prays this psalm. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. They felt led by the Lord to go to Iaconum. They they began to do what they've always done. They went to a synagogue in verse 1, and they spoke again of this grace-filled gospel truth of the risen Jesus. And by God's grace, the Bible says in Acts 14, verse 1, a tremendous number of both Jews and Gentiles, more than likely God-fearers as Gentiles, they were open to the ways of the Lord, believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, is that you'll notice Luke, the author of the book of Acts, pays no attention specifically to the content of Paul's message. I mean, in Acts chapter 13, we go from verses 14 all the way through almost the end of the chapter. But here, he says nothing. Why? Because more than likely, it was the same message and similar sermon that Paul had already preached in Acts chapter 13. Which means then that the previous opposition of Cyprus and Antioch Pisidia had no effect at all on the method and message of these apostles. There was literally nothing that they changed. They were undeterred, regardless of the persecution, regardless of being thrown out of these cities, they considered it worthy to be persecuted for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is coming a time that we must never be afraid to say what must be said. We must be faithful. We must stand firm in the gospel. It is amazing to me in the observation of this as you, you look around just where we are right now, just in regard to our culture and political climate and all of these things, we have the answer. We have the gospel. But yet too many of us as Christians, we suffer from spiritual amnesia. By that I mean that we remember the things that we should forget And we keep recalling the things that that we should never remember. It is these things that you and I struggle with daily. That we tend to forget who God is and who we are in light of what God has done. That is why with all discipline, with all fervor, we must daily preach the gospel first to ourselves that we must remind first ourselves that God made us, that God saved us, that God sustains us, that God will always be with us. God desires an intimate relationship with us, that he hears our prayers, that even though God is holy and just, there is nothing that is capable of saving us besides faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the law, not anything else. It is his work on our behalf, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension that confirms who Jesus is as God. He is Savior and he is Lord. And if he is Lord, he's in charge. And if he's in charge, why should we be afraid of anything? I mean, if he's king of the universe and if he's king of my heart, if he reigns in and through me, then what is the day? but yet another opportunity to live in light of his glory and kingdom, to follow his perfect will for our lives, to share of the joyful blessing of all that he is to us in Christ. We do not believe these things because they are culturally popular. We do not believe these things because they're culturally relevant. We believe these things because they're truth. 
They are truth from God's word, which points us to the need for God's son, which we receive by faith in what God's son has done on our behalf by his grace. Therefore, we are his and no one else's. And thus, every part of this day is us giving back to what God has graciously already given to us through Jesus Christ. It is this beautiful model that we see in Paul and Barnabas. And as a result of their faithfulness, God blessed their boldness in ministry. Now notice what happened in verse two. Predictably, opposition came. The moment God blesses in verse one, immediately comes opposition in verse two. As now both Jews and Gentiles, they they haven't gone along for a century. And yet here they are now joyfully synergizing around together to rebel against Paul and Barnabas' ministry. You see, the gospel unites and divides. It has always been this way. There is no such thing as a non-offensive gospel. There is no such thing as a non-divisive gospel. That is why you and I humbly share this truth. That is why you and I, benefactors, saved from this darkness of sin, this peril of hell, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we share this same good news that is saving and changing lives right now. And so as Paul and Barnabas shared this gospel in verse one, immediately and intentionally, opposition came. In fact, Luke reminds us that these unbelieving Jews intentionally began to influence the minds of those around them, to stir up distrust, to lead them to evil actions against Paul and Barnabas. Yet astonishingly, Paul and Barnabas are undeterred in their faithfulness and their resolve to do what God has called them to do. Look at verse three. So then they remained a long time. Luke emphasizes here God's blessing and working through two primary things. One, the truthfulness of what they were teaching. Secondly, by miraculous signs and wonders. Now, please notice here the pattern. It's essential. That Paul and Barnabas weren't stirring up works and wonders to verify the truth. No, no, no. It is from the truthfulness of God's word. From the truth came these signs and wonders. Do you see a gospel-led lifestyle is a combination of both word and action. That's why it's in peril that you and I move as God is moving through us because this is a pattern God uses that from his gospel leads to movement through the gospel. That God allows the truth of his word to not only fill our lives, but to fuel them for service. It is this balance that you and I must know who we are in Christ. That the Bible is clear that the moment you give your life to Christ, that each and every one of you are also given a spiritual gift for Christ. This is not a gift that saves you. This is rather a gift that God uses to display the work that he's doing in and through you. So do you know your spiritual gift? 
That is why consistently we're always reminding you of Next Steps 101 and Next Steps 201. All these are are means to the end of you knowing your spiritual gift. Because when you know that gift, then you're more apt to use that gift. And when you know that gift, you're then going to find ways to use this gift. That's why it's absolutely essential that, that you're involved in what God is doing here. That you're involved in our path, the movement of God in and through his people. That you're engaging in worship, that you're connecting in a group, that you're investing in a few, that you're making an impact, that you're, you're giving it away, that you're holding everything else lightly and holding tight to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then simply keep walking through doors that God alone is opening. So let me ask you this. Are you moving? I mean, is God doing a new thing in your heart this summer to prepare you for the fall? Keep moving. Or is God affirming the same thing? But may you be bolder and bolder with this gospel. Paul and Barnabas was, and they just keep changing town to town that they went to in this first missionary journey. Go bold with the gospel. Now look at verses four through six. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it. And they fled to Lystra and Derbe and the cities of Lyacona and the surrounding country. So Paul and Barnabas' dedication to multiplying their ministry led to a division among Jews and Gentiles. This is always God's spiritual math. That anything that you desire to multiply with him will divide as well, every single time. You say, well, how bad was it at Nyakonim? This word divided in verse four describes, are you ready for this? An abrupt split, a schism in the city. Literally, this ministry was dividing homes, dividing businesses, dividing relationships. Some were choosing the customs of the Jews, others the truth of the gospel. Did you notice the parallel there? One was choosing sight, was choosing works, tradition, things they could control. The other one was living by faith. Not on their work, but his work. A work that will be realized not in this life, but in glory. Now, something else interesting. If you look at verse 4, did you notice that Luke references both Paul and Barnabas as apostles? Why? An apostle was one set apart for ministry by the Lord Jesus Christ. An apostle was one in Acts chapters 1 through 12 who literally saw the resurrected Christ. Barnabas never did. Why reference both Paul and Barnabas? Now, here's something interesting. You see, Paul and Barnabas in their powerful, authoritative teaching and ministry were living out their Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, gospel-led ministry. In a technical sense, they were like the apostles in the book of Acts. They were living out the ministry of Christ. The impetus is, is not just on their theology, not just on their understanding of the scriptures, but rather of their application of the scriptures, 
of them living out the truth of God's word day by day, conversation by conversation, moment by moment. It is within this sense that God gave them a holy sense of wisdom. Tragically, substantial persecution arose from both Jews and Gentiles to both Paul and Barnabas. As they begin to escalate against the apostles, these agitators continually harassed. They even attempted to stone both Paul and Barnabas. So they wisely fled to the countryside of Lystra and Derbe in verses five through six. You see, when engaging our world with the gospel, we must use wisdom as God's people are born again, not born yesterday. There was a heavenly sense of wisdom that God will give you. And if you're ever in a situation where abruptly the ministry that God is doing in and through you is going to end or is going to be compromised, God will give you the wisdom that you need to know whether or not you need to stay and stand or move as he continues to move through you. Paul and Barnabas were bold, but they were not foolish. God was not done with these men yet. God was not asking them to give their lives here in Iaconum, no. They were on their way to Rome. There were other opportunities. There were tens of thousands of people that still needed to hear the gospel. And so God, by his grace, works a new ministry. And that is exactly what verse seven communicates. It serves as this interlocking transition from a previous narrative in Iaconum to now a new facet of ministry through these apostles. Look at verse seven. And they continued to preach the gospel, undaunted by being thrown out of two consecutive cities. The harassment of their opposition, not just ritualistic Jews, but now Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas chose to stand firm to preach this good news of the gospel. And the world has never been the same since. You see, God's kingdom is so much greater than what we see or know. I mean, things appear on the surface to be a disaster. They've traveled all of this way, and this is the reaction? No, to Paul and Barnabas, this was the way in which they made churches. The Lord would lead them to a city. They would go to the synagogue, the epicenter of Jewish life in this city. They would then begin to engage a people group. They would share the gospel. They would get beat up, harassed, thrown into prison, thrown out of town, and then start a church. For them, it was a way of life. For them, it was a means of fulfilling the purpose God has for them. What is it that God is calling you today to be bold in? As we close, I want to give you four things, four ways in which you can be bold in sharing this same gospel. Number one, believe God will do his work through you. Believe that your work is his work. That whatever he has for you today is exactly what he has prepared you for. So then secondly, obey to what it is he's asking of you. Never forsake the simple obedience of God's people. These were amazing, amazing men. 
These are men in glory that you and I are gonna spend a lot of time with, eons of time with. They were ordinary men who gave their lives to an extraordinary God, an extraordinary calling, and they obeyed to what he was asking of them. Thirdly, live it out, the gospel. That this gospel was not meant just to save us or sustain us, but to transform us for those around us. Live out this gospel this week and what it is he is calling you to do. Finally, die daily to self. And may all of us be undeterred in whatever it is that King Jesus is calling us to this week. It is God and God alone who reigns. Not Satan, not rulers or municipalities or our circumstances or our fortune or our fate. God and God alone through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we then embrace and endure this journey that God has called us on. May we accept this hardship as a necessary component of you and I being salt and light, of shining his truth to those around us as we follow Christ. May we embrace every challenge with the understanding that God sovereignly has appointed this for us, that God is with us and for us, and therefore no one can be against us. As we stand firm in this gospel, as we lean on his promises, undeterred in any obstacle that God places before us. You know, there's so many incredible things that I could share of, of God's faithfulness through you, but I want to end our time together with a celebration of God's goodness. You and I now, for about 15 months, have, have been on a two-year journey called Greater Still, where we have been asking the Lord for greater ministry and greater missions and greater future. As a part of this, we've allocated over the next two years, $19 million within our current economic climate and political climate. This is overwhelmingly a step of faith. Something that as we begin to assess not only who we are, but where we're going, we feel this is the best stewardship of these resources, the best allocation of our time and our talent and our treasures as we prepare not just for this year, but for the next 25 years of ministry here on God's Hill. It is from this season of faith that we've seen tremendous blessings, that we've been able to fully fund greater ministry, that we have at our 40 local and global mission partners, a, now a, a thriving culture where the gospel is going truly to BA and beyond all over because of the goodness and faithfulness of God's people. We allocated among the 19 million, $9 million in our greater future. And in regard to stewardship, our executive team and our lead team and our finance team thought, you know, really it's, it's probably best for these to be two separate phases. One, a, a brand new updated worship center, a, a new atrium, expansion of those spaces or reallocation of our offices and new classrooms here on the north side of our worship center. We would then have a phase two that is a, a truly a next generation space, preschool, kids, and students fulfilling the mission and path that God has given our church. We then, as we begin to explore this together, said, okay, of this first phase, it's $6 million. And for us as a debt-free church, solely trusting in the Lord, we're not gonna borrow a dime by God's grace. As God blesses his people, we'll move forward. We've allocated 70% of phase one. So it's a $6 million phase one. 70% of 6 million is $4.2 million. 
and we've trusted the Lord. And you sought the Lord. And you faithfully have given. And church, this week, we have had multiple significant gifts to our greater future. And I stand before you right now, in this second Sunday in July, we are $58,000 away from beginning construction on phase one. $58,000, that's it. And so for the hundreds and hundreds of families that gather here each and every week by God's grace, what does that look like? Just over $100 a family. That's a couple of pizzas and a movie night that we're choosing not to go to this month. We're saying no to. So by God's grace, tens of thousands of people in the future can say yes to Jesus. And so as you leave this place, undeterred in your allegiance to the gospel, filled with joy in what it is God has you for this week, may you continue to be bold in saying yes to what it is that God is asking of you. And may you have enough courage to say no to the things that ultimately do not matter so you can say yes to the things that God will bless for all of eternity. We praise God for this undeterred gospel that you and I now have the privilege of being bold with. May we go bold with the gospel. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.